Sometimes we struggle to believe we'll experience anything new each Advent season. What could we possibly learn that we haven't heard or seen before? But the season of Advent is a journey, and no journey is ever the same. This Advent at Second Presbyterian Church, we invite you to consider new ways of connecting to this ancient and beautiful story, a story that somehow simultaneously deals with the past, present, and future. Beginning November 27th and through Christmas Day, we will offer a sermon series titled, While We Are Waiting. Come with your questions and real-life struggles as we encounter the holy in our waiting. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that in the words of this flawed servant, that the word of good news might be heard that was announced to shepherds, and that somehow you may know that news is true today. Amen. Here now, again, this reading of a very familiar story. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of a great joy for all the people, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. The word of the Lord. Are all of y'all aware of the tiny house phenomenon? I would never want to live in one, but I am fascinated by the idea of it. With great creativity and planning, a house can be built that would fit inside my living room or even fit inside one of the parking spaces of our parking lot. With a house like that, you don't talk about rooms. You talk about areas. A kitchen area, a living area, sitting area, dining area, a loft that lowers and there's the bed, a toilet that pulls out with a drawer, a shower that looks like a closet. Some of these houses have windows on all four sides. Imagine you're now, you're right now, being a tiny house with a window on all four sides. Now, don't get literal and trip over logistical obstacles in what is already a tiny house and a limited metaphor. Just imagine the moment you happen to be in as this house, this room. The window in the back wall looks to the past. The view out the back may not be what actually happened. It's only what one sees in the past, the remembered the truths and the lies that are believed as true, and the memories that have been polished or tarnished because of your bias. 
If one's favorite chair is angled toward that window, perhaps in a tiny house, the only chair angled toward that window, then that one spends a lot of time dwelling on the past or trying to understand it. Maybe lost in nostalgia or caught in regret. Or maybe one likes the view because one misses what once was. Or one likes to play the what could have been mind game. Now to the right and left of the room are windows on these opposing walls that take in what is happening right now. Again, the view on either side may not be accurate. We misinterpret the people and events around us all the time, but it's what we see happening. Looking out those windows, one sees the people who fill one's life right now, the news of the day, the demands of the hour. Look out the window on the right wall and one is happy with the view, satisfied with the way things are, counting one's blessings, hoping that things don't change. Look out the window on the left wall and one doesn't like the view. One is unhappy with the way things are, possibly feeling trapped or hopeless or feeling that things will never change. And then there is the view through the window on the front wall, the east wall, the view to the future. What one sees may not actually take place but it's the view of the future that one thinks is coming. It's what one thinks one sees. One can look out this window with dread or excitement, with anticipation or with fear. Or one can just pull the shades because one is happy with the way things are and doesn't want things to change because one thinks that things might get worse or that things will never get better. Now, our lives cannot be captured in a moment, of course. We move from one fluid moment to another or through one to another. But I think it's helpful to pretend a moment can be caught just to do an analysis on why life can sometimes seem stuck. And the first question one might ask in that moment is, out of which window am I looking? Consider the moment of now in which the shepherds find themselves. I am speaking, of course, of the shepherds watching over their flock by night. I live in my now, not there, so I cannot speak with final authority about who these shepherds are or speak to their state of mind. Nevertheless, my guess is that they pretty much feel planted in a lasting moment. My sense is that when they're out in the field at night, they're not thinking too much about the past and think very little about the future except the possibility that a predator or thief might show up or maybe thinking about what they might drink later or who they get with. Mostly, though, they're caught in the present, protecting their flocks by keeping their attention focused on who and what is around them. If I had read the beginning of chapter 2 instead of beginning at verse 8, you would have heard that this moment of now in which the shepherds live is one where the world is ruled by Caesar Augustus and the region governed by Quirinius. It is a time of heavy taxation so that an occupied people can have the privilege of being under the comforting thumb of Rome. Shepherds are born into the job and do it out of necessity so it's not a profession with the promise of advancement. Hope for the future is modest because really there is little reason to expect much to change. 
So I do not think that the shepherds expect the world is going to change, except maybe for the worse if one were to get hurt and cannot work, or if Rome begins to exact more taxes from them when it's so hard to get by right now. So I imagine them with their eyes not to the sky, searching for signs of angels or looking for the coming of the Messiah. They are focused on the hills and fields around them. But suddenly the shutters of the front window are blown open and they're given a bright vision of something coming, of someone coming, of someone that they have to find. An angel appears in the sky and because this is something they were not looking for, they are startled and terrified. Did they not learn from Moses that one cannot look upon the face of God and survive? Is now the time to die? But at least it's a holy terror for the shepherds. The realistic fear of knowing that God is encountered and when God is encountered, things cannot stay the same. But fortunately for the shepherds, the angel has not come to lead them through the door to death, but to guide them to the God who has come into the world. Fear not, the angel says, for I am bringing you good news. This is one of the times when I prefer a different translation than what I just read. A different translation than the ones that you have in the pews. I am bringing you good news for all people is not nearly as beautiful or hopeful or charming as what the angels say in the translation of my childhood, the King James Version. I am bringing you good tidings of great joy for all the people. While I didn't understand much of what I heard from the King James Version when I was a child, I understood that phrase, good tidings. Even though that's a phrase that I never heard used in conversation anywhere except when I heard the Bible read. My father never said, children, I have good tidings. We're going to Six Flags over Georgia. (laughs) Disney World didn't exist when I was a kid. Six Flags was the mecca of my fun. In elementary school, I never got a report card that said, good tidings, you have received an A. That I rarely got an A in elementary school is beside the point. I doubt that I would ever be told if I won the lottery, good tidings, even though I'd love to find out. I've heard plenty of good news in my life, but that news has never been introduced with those two words. But even though I'd never heard that expression, except in hearing it from the King James Bible, I knew what it meant. And I knew it had to be something really special when it was said. I knew it meant something big and wonderful and unique. Whatever the news, it would be the kind of thing that was said in a royal court if a messenger announced that a major battle had been won or the maiden with the missing slipper has been found. Or it might be the way angels talk and angels only talk when the news is as bad or as good as it gets there's a charm to that child's way of thinking that good tidings is a one and only way of speaking of a one and only event this passage this story this day of christmas and its news should glow in our imagination For what is being told the shepherds is, if true, the most astounding thing that could possibly be true, that we do not live in our fields alone. 
that we exist in the moment of now because there is eternity. That we exist at all is because there is an author of life. And given what we believe about God, given what tradition has passed on to us, we know that we love because God loves us. We work for justice because there is a God who cares. And we seek peace because God desires us to be reconciled. The news is that God is born among us, that God is among us to bring peace to all peoples. If the rule of heaven is to save the expression, good tidings for anything will save it for the best news there is, the news of Christmas. But there's also a danger to this way of thinking as well. Just as the special sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper should glow so as to illumine the ordinary, so too should Christmas glow with light so as to illumine ordinary lives. The ordinary lives of the moment of our passage, the lives of shepherds, fishermen, tanners, merchants, carpenters, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Into their lives, God comes. Peace is promised to them. Notice what the shepherds are asked by the angels to seek. They're not told to look for more angels. They're not told to seek the end of the rainbow or seek the sword stuck in a stone or seek this unique mountain shape where they will have a close encounter of the divine kind. No, they are asked to look for an ordinary stable a common feeding trough, and asked to find within it an ordinary baby wrapped in ordinary cloths. They are asked to find God in ordinary life. So could this passage be inviting us to seek signs of God coming, not just into the world, not just into history, into our lives, into our nows, into the moments that we live, are we not invited to a confirmation bias of a different sort? A bias that seeks the signs that God is here and that life by God's grace can actually lead to peace. If that is true, looking for God to come may be the most practical thing we can do because grace, mercy, and peace, if they are possible, should be looked for and sought after. Now, for better or for worse, I've been in a creative mood with my sermon, what with my metaphorical tiny house with its windows. Hang with me, because I'm going to try one more creative exercise. I want you to imagine how different now these shepherds in this field are compared to shepherds in other fields of that region. Most of those other shepherds continue to do what most shepherds do, having been trained by their circumstances, you know, trained by their circumstances in life, living to expect what they've been taught to expect. They live their days without great expectation of what, by the presence and grace of God, their lives can become. I'm going to accept the truth of what commentaries say on our passage and when they describe shepherds, when they say that shepherds, because of their hard life, are often not the most trustworthy of characters. 
So I imagine shepherds in another field who are prone to drink, perhaps to numb themselves to what they do not like about their hard lives that they believe will never change. They are not the type to go looking for ways to find blessings, blessings maybe that they already have, like families to love or families that they could love. Because shepherds of the day live day to day, hand to mouth, I imagine that there are shepherds in another field who not only look for predators, but look to be predators, to take from others what they themselves do not have. They're not prone to look for ways to cooperate and organize, to build community so that risk and blessing can be shared. They are looking out for themselves because there's only so much to go around and that's all they see. Or shepherds of the day did not imagine that they could change the circumstances, perhaps at least a little bit of their world. And I imagine that there are shepherds in another field who do not know how to look for ways to help bring about the peace and justice that they might hear of, how they can even make friends of enemies, that even peace might be possible in their own relationships in their part of the world. So they do not look for opportunities to bring concerns of wool and meat producers to the attention of those who need to understand why they should be appreciated and why we need to work together and watch out for each other. But the shepherds who receive the unexpected visit of the angels are different now. The confirmation bias of their lives has been shattered. They are now robbed of the illusion that they should not look out the window of the future looking for ways to make things better because they are convinced that nothing fundamental can change. That's not them anymore. Now they know a troubled marriage or strained friendship can be healed and they will look for signs of how it might be so. They do not believe that one has to remain in the prison of addiction But by the grace of God and with the support of others, sobriety might actually be gained. They now believe in the possibility of the healing of a broken heart, of a broken and polarized country finding unity, of a nation broken by its political divides being united again, of peace coming to Ukraine, of dying not being the end. Yes, I heard it. The moment of the shepherds disappeared and now we are in our moment. My creativity can be a bit undisciplined. But a preacher has to get to the point somehow. I believe this passage is as much about now as it was then. That the good tidings that was announced to the shepherds is good tidings for us to hear. That peace is born, which means peace is possible. That God has come, which means God can be found. Let's take on the confirmation bias of those shepherds who believe this news and go looking for the signs of it being true, the signs of God in ordinary things, an ordinary baby wrapped in ordinary cloths, lying in an ordinary manger. Let's look for the signs of God healing and reconciling the wounds of life. Then knowing that it's possible. And then let's live into that change. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.